The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Your hosts are Ken Roshan and Gisela Gonzalez. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Gisela. Hello, this is Ken Roshan. And Gisela Gonzalez. So, hello, Ken. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Great, great. And considering that we're in a totally different state from each other and we're kind of trying to get our guests, it's a very interesting guest right now. Um, can you tell me exactly where you are right now so our listeners can be jealous? <laughs> yeah, I'm in sunny San Diego. And uh, I'm at the Traffic and Conversion event for 2016, and it's a sold-out event. There's like 5,000 markers here, and it's, it's an over-the-top event, uh, really impressive. You should be here, Gisela. I should be there. I'll be there at some point because we have the best in there, which is Ken Rashawn from the Umbrella Syndicate. So, Ken, um, we have a very interesting guest, and um, what, what, is your, um, what would you say about our guest? Well, I would say he's, uh, he's one of those guys that understands the complexity of human behavior and understanding the, the generation gap. And he's written books on leadership. Uh, Liquid Leadership is a book that I just received from Brad. And I've been traveling so much, Brad, I have to confess, the book was not consumed, but it will be consumed uh, this week. On the, I, have so many, I have so many events. I'm just hopping from one event to another event. So I am going to turn it over to you to explain a lot more of what you were uh, achieving with that book. And uh, this is Brad Solis, by the way. He's, he was recommended to us on Facebook last year. And we're so excited to have you on the show, Brad. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I don't expect anybody to read the book, especially if you're super busy. But it is written so that you can read a chapter at a time. So I'm not insulted. <laughs> you're on the go. You're the yes, first I am. person and that you wrote the book and tell me that you don't expect me to read it. Look, I, I, I remember when I first started handing it out and I was so disappointed. And then I realized, you know, people are incredibly busy. And although a book is a great uh, tool using six, uh, the technology of the 1600s, um, I can't expect that people to, to carry it around and lug it around uh, and always be reading it. So if you get one thing out of it, I am very happy. <laughs> well, Harry, well, Brad, well, that's, I, go ahead, Ken. Brad, I wrote my first book in uh, 2009, and it was a book called Becoming the Perfect Networker, Succeeding One Connection at a Time. And I, like you, thought giving this book out to people that it would, you know, the, my website would be charged with leads and people that wanted to work with me. And 
I mean, I found out later when I had a, a lot of grammatical errors in my first edition, someone said, uh, an author, mentor of mine, he said, oh, don't worry, no one will read your book. They won't even catch the errors. So, <laughs> and, and then I got, then I got on 50 radio try. shows, and, and I always knew when I got on a radio show if they read my book or not, because if they asked a question like, so how long did it take you to write the book? I knew that that was probably a little sign that they had nothing better to say about that book <laughs> because they hadn't read it. <clears throat> oh, good. So, oh, so Brett, wonder, can you tell wonder. us how, how do you start it and what is the highlights that would think that you're going to move and shake right now? Well, uh, how I got started was I was part of the dot-com boom back in the 90s. And I don't know if anybody remembers, but... Uh, Right around 1994, my business partner burst into our office, and we had been one year in business, and uh, he says to me, we have to become an Internet company. And I'm savvy, like I guess both of you were at that time. In 1994, I looked at him, and I said, what the hell is the Internet? <laughs> and so uh, from that moment on, I was kind of like, okay, I had my doubts about it. But all of a sudden, we started selling websites. We were building websites. And before we knew it, within 18 months, we had grown from me and him as business partners to 60 employees, offices worldwide. And uh, we had grown, uh, we started growing about 425% every year for five straight years. And we had this massive explosive growth. Now, that would be a, a great story unto itself. By the way, we went public on NASDAQ. And um, that would be a great story, except there was one bigger piece of that that is part of the work I'm doing today, and that is I noticed there was a generational behavioral issue. And I realized I was managing that first wave of Gen X and Gen Y uh, employees that didn't want to stay in a cubicle for 10 hours a day. And that's part of the work I do today with corporations and individuals. I help coach them and train them and consult with companies on, on how to really motivate this next generation. Wow. That's it. I was 11 years old in 1994. What about you, Ken? What are you doing in 1994? Well, I was, I was only five. I was only five years old. <laughs> hey, but you were getting CompuServe dis discs in the mail, right? You were getting CompuServe discs in the mail, AOL, things like that? Exactly, exactly. I don't know. I don't know much about. I don't know much about AOL, but I know LOL. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this was before emojis. <laughs> They're even making pillows now about those stuff. <laughs> go figure. Yeah. So it, what, what kind of happened? And I'll I'll share this with everybody real quick. Is uh, I I stayed on at the company until about the year two thousand. Then I went off and did my own things. And then eventually I said to my wife, you know, i got to grow up soon. And she, I said, what should I do? And she said, you should write a book about your dot-com experiences. And that's where Liquid Leadership uh, was birthed. Oh, wow. That's an impressive story. Uh, how, how did you figure out, uh, you know, 20 years ago uh, that it was a gen uh, generation issue? Uh, it happened, it was very subtle, but my business partner and I, Doug and I, we had gone to college together, and we're baby boomers, and so we had both lived in New York City about 10 years, you know, we had been on ski trips, I, I was uh, one of the ushers at his wedding, uh, so we knew each other for a while, 
And so when we started this business, we wanted it to be a traditional design firm. And all of a sudden, this young man wanted to work with us, and he was only three years younger than us, and his name was David Sedner. You, you can look all this up. It's part of the public record. Uh, but David, uh, he acted very different from us. And some days we would just look at each other and we were like, what is going on? Well, as soon as we started hiring one employee after another that was in the same age category, I noticed they had the same behavior. And it kept getting worse the younger they got. And so I thought, hmm, this is interesting, because at first I thought it was according to our management model. Um, my background before I started K2 Design was I had done these large corporate meetings, and that meant I had to work with a stage designer, special effects photographer, lighting and sound engineers. I had to work with the CEO and all these other things. I had to make the CEO look like a rock star on stage for the corporate event. So I had to manage people from very different disciplines and expect them to do the very best they could. Well, I took that same management model and utilized it when we first started building websites. So we had programmers on one side of the office, and we had designers on the other side and producers in the middle, and we would meet, uh, come up with these great uh, ideation sessions or whiteboard sessions, and then everybody would go off and do their job. And uh, this was the beginning of a results-only work environment where deadlines were more important than being in on time. And I didn't know it at the time, but we were considered pioneers in this. Well, I have a question for you, Brad. My, my son is uh, already into gaming. He's only two and a half years old. He, he, his first word was uh, mama, and I think his second word was iPad. And I'm not kidding. He really knows how to go iPad, iPad. Yeah. And so he's not. And zombies. And zombies. <laughs> yeah, zombies, sense <laughs> and zombies. And I was wondering, since uh, you seem to have studied a lot about gamers and, and how many hours, these uh, thousands of hours these kids spend on it, at what degree should, is it good for a child and, and what degree is it not? Well, I want everybody to understand that. There were three major influences for anybody that was born after 1977. This is part of the research I discovered. A lot of people have one piece of the puzzle, but it's actually three, especially if you're here in the United States and Canada. And the video game part is very uh, crucial in understanding millennial behavior uh, and Generation Z and any generation after that. And if I tell you this, um, you're going you're gonna to be blown away. How do you learn in a video game? Or what do you learn? What are the behaviors that you learn by playing a video game? And I'll answer them for you real quick. First, you need to learn the rules and the politics intuitively. The faster you learn, the more you learn. The higher the risk, the greater the reward. And boomers were taught that if you screw up at all, your career was over, whereas video games have taught this next generation screwing up and making mistakes is the only way to learn. <laughs> okay. Uh, the other right. thing is that leadership is rotational, and once you've stormed the castle, you've killed the trolls, and you've saved the princess, forget everything you just learned, because the rules will change at the next level. Now, if this sounds like the behavior of your child or the next generation, it's because of video games. And we may be aware or cognizant that we're playing a game, but the brain is not it sees this as reality. So when a child 
is playing video games. I love puzzle games or problem-solving games because that gets the child to start listening more to their, their intuition and using their mind and their brain. And you're right, Ken. <laughs> it can become dangerous because that world can become a world of addiction where the child wants to be in there all the time and doesn't know the difference between uh, playing a game and going outside for health. And much like when we were growing up as kids, maybe not uh, you guys if you were raised on video games, but we were always told, shut the TV off and go outside. So we became aware that there were uh, beginning, middle, and ends to everything. You know, okay, it's time to shut off the TV and go outside. It's time to shut this off and go do something else. Video games are, have two things in them. First of all, they're very addictive because you're in a, uh, this world that um, you can do everything in. You are the writer, the producer, the director, the avatar, the character in that game world. So you control everything, but also it's a huge distortion of time. Time becomes a huge illusion when you sit down to play a video game. Do you guys remember the first time you got on a computer, how time just went by? Of course. And that is part of... Right, and that's a problem. You have to teach your children the boundaries for themselves and why those boundaries are important because instead of just being the parent who's like the spoil sport, oh, come on, Dad, you know, you tell Ken the third <laughs> that he has to, uh, you know, get off the, the game for a little bit and spend time with Mom and Dad because relationships are important. We need to go outside because it's healthy. I don't think there's a day where I don't go outside at least for an hour. Because that's in my mind. I just have to go outside. But video games have kind of ruined that. And, and as some of you know this to be true, uh, Mr. Softy Trucks are now driving around neighborhoods looking for clients because everybody's inside. Right. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's so funny. Um, well, mm-hmm. I, to, just, just to, to, you know, put a little bit into the, the K3 and the video game and all of that, so I... I obviously had the pleasure to spend lots of time with K3, and um, my daughter, she's four, and K3 is three, and uh, little Eva, uh, she, I, I don't allow her to play games. She doesn't even know what that means, okay? So that said, K3 and little Eva it, live in a different world, but I, I also learned from K3 that he, uh, academically, he is way more ahead than my daughter will ever be. Uh, so my daughter right. is younger and, and academically, and K3, it's like that monster that he knows ABCs. He sings back, forward, and one, two, three, and he goes all the way to I maybe 100. I don't know. But the boy right. is extremely smart. So what do you have to say about that? Well, my daughter knows everything about playing outside. But, you know, what do you have to say about that? You can no longer sit in our world and not let a child play video games. And I'll tell you why. These are giving them the skills for the 21st century, not only in using technological devices, because the illusion is is they're playing a game. The reality is is they're playing with a computer that is uh, icon-driven. They're manipulating digital information, which is what they're going to need to do when they get into the world of business, because in the world of business, they have to work in teams, and when they're online on these games, they're working in teams. They have to rely on each other's skill sets, and also, it makes them fast with their, their finger reflexes. So the one thing I can recommend to parents is choose your video game platform wisely. 
one of the ones I got with my nephew when he was a certain age. Now, he had Xbox. Sebastian is great because he's the perfect millennial for me. Uh, I do all my studies and ask him questions, and uh, he just moved out of the house. You know, he's an adult now. He's 24 years old. But when he was growing up, uh, I helped raise him. And so on Friday nights, he'd go, Uncle Brad, what do you want to do? And I would watch him play video games. And I said, you know what? Let me go get the video games I like. And we got, like, Mortal Kombat, because I know he likes some martial arts. But then I got him the Gran Torino driving game. And I got him uh, Final Fantasy VIII, which was a puzzle-solving quest type of game. So these games he loved. I would never, ever, ever let him uh, play Grand Theft Auto or anything like that with its ultra-violent. And I think it's it's just like television. You have to be able to know as a parent what they're playing and ha- uh, who they're playing with because their friends are going to come over and sneak some games over as well. Uh, but I'll tell you, my nephew's favorite games today are, uh, uh, he likes the NHL Hockey 2016. He likes FIFA, which is the, the soccer game, international soccer. He also likes Madden. Uh, every year, I think he's gotten the Madden games, and he loves wrestling. So he has the WWE wrestling kits. Uh, he gets those all the time, and his friends come over, and they will play for hours and hours and hours. And even at 24, this is what people don't realize, this is the media platform of choice for the next generation, much like TV was, television was for my generation as a cusp boomer, and radio was for my father's generation. So... They're, they're on these games all the time. So as a parent, you really need to get them involved in some of this a little bit, but at the same time monitor it just like you would television. And one of them, the, uh, the consoles I recommend, I love uh, the Wii uh, game uh, system. They have one where the, the parents, you, you'll love this, uh, Wii Sports comes with it, and you actually have to play bowling and tennis and baseball and things like that. So your child gets to interact with you and the family. So it isn't just a one-on-one kind of thing. Uh, also, if you get uh, PlayStation uh, or any of the Nintendo uh, game engines, uh, you can pick up, like, Rock Band and things like that. The whole family here has played drums and guitars and sang on a Friday night or Saturday night, uh, whatever song you want to pick out from the lexicon. So these are not... Uh, games that used to, uh, they used to be considered isolation tools, and now families can participate. So I think it, it makes a lot of fun for it, uh, for both of you, Ken and Gisela, because as parents, you want to be interactive, and it gives your, your kids something to talk about. What are some of the sites you'd recommend for uh, parents to have their kids do problem-solving and critical thinking uh, type of games and activities? Uh, well, I'll give you a good example. I went out to this conference called um, the Games and Learning Society, and that's where professors in colleges come together with game designers to build uh, games that can be used in the classroom. And there's four kinds of games. There's simulators, simulations, uh, uh, puzzle solving and first person shooter. Those are the four types of games. And what you start to realize is uh uh, the really good games combine all four. And, uh, you know, I know you're probably thinking about the violence and things like this, but uh, I'll give you a great story. I was hanging out with some people when I was first writing Liquid Leadership, and they said games are the key to understanding the next generation. 
and I told him, it's just games. You know, I was, I was the cynical guy in the corner, <laughs> sounding a lot like my dad for some reason. <laughs> but I said to them, okay, prove it to me. So my friend, uh, we went back to the hotel lobby, and he set up his Mac, and we started playing World of Warcraft, which is an online uh, quest style game that's been around. It's a game environment. You actually enter into it, and I think it's like $15 a month, something like that. So we're with one of our buddies, Lee, and he sets me up, and I was a sage, I believe I was, and he let me pay, uh, play like all these different quests and do all these things, and within an hour and a half, I had gotten up to level 50, and I was all excited, and I had gone into these different rooms, and I had learned different things, and I had been in battles, and it was highly complex. And then here was the mind-blowing part. He says, i got to kick you guys out of here. I said, why? He goes, I have an appointment with my kids at 11 o'clock tonight to get on World of Warcraft and play. And I That's just awesome. looked at him and I said, I said, Lee, what do you mean? He goes, I'm on the road a lot. He says, especially on weekends. And he says, when I get home and I sit at the dinner table, my two kids, it's as if I never left. We were on a quest together two, three nights before, and we have something to talk about. And as a family, we just, we love playing World of Warcraft. And I just looked at him and I went, wow, <laughs> God bless you. That's ingenious. <laughs> and that's part of what this is. Don't resist it so much because it is part of the 21st century. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. Exactly. I always say we're in 2016. I mean, wake up. It's a different technology. It's a different world. Just so 3,008, right? So 2008. Yeah, Like go. the Fergie song. Yep. So, Ken, Ken you, you had something about, uh, um, you were talking about, about earlier. Yes. About the mil millennials, you. and you, you had something to say about that. Yeah, I wanted to know what you thought about the, uh, the best practices are for this generation and why they act the way they do. Wow, that's two big questions, and um, I'll, I'll tackle them. They act the way they do because they were raised completely differently than uh, any generation that came before them. And uh, I know Gen X is sitting in the middle going, whoa, what about us? Um, you are that cusp group that's right in between, and you're ready for leadership positions, but... Anybody who was born after 1977, and really anybody born after 1984, got the really cool video games, uh, which was multi-level, multiplayer games, and that affected the brains. That affected the behavior. Um, I, I gave you the list of nine basic uh, things that you learn while playing a video game, and that affects behavior in the business world. But something else happened right around 1977. Do you remember the number one blockbuster movie in 1977? I think it was called Star Wars, if I recall. Yes, it was called Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> now, the, the, second, the second movie that came out that year that was the number two blockbuster movie was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And the third one was Smoking the Bandit, uh, which was also, you know, a uh, number three movie, and it did really well with Burt Reynolds and Sally Fields. Now, some of you are like, well, why is this important, Brad? Well, from 1977 on, if you look at the top ten blockbuster movies in the past 35 years, 
seven of those top ten, maybe even eight, have been either science fiction-driven or fantasy. Science fiction-driven or fantasy. And what has happened is we went from before 1977, we used to watch westerns and thrillers, and once in a while science fiction got on the map, but it was never treated with respect. After 1977, we've been inundated and bombarded with science fiction uh, movies. And if you look at everything, 90% of what was in Star Wars, whether it be robots, pads, Wi-Fi networks, computers, holograms, we have them today. Now, we don't have the Millennium Falcon, but they are working on the lightsaber, and they have beamed particles over in England from one side of the room to the next. So to my generation, Star Trek came first, then Star Wars. But to this generation, Star Wars created a paradigm shift. And I wish I had said that, but I didn't. That was Dr. Michio Keiko, the noted theoretical physicist. He said that. Star Wars initiated a paradigm shift which affected us globally. If you lived in Guam or Puerto Rico, you watched Star Wars. My wife is from Haiti. She saw Star Wars. Here's a place that doesn't have electricity all the time. She saw Star Wars. If you were in Japan, uh, Canada, China uh, even got bootleg uh, editions of it. Turkey even tried to make their own edition of Star Wars. You can go look this up. The Turkish Star Wars. It's such a bad movie, and they use the actual Star Wars footage projected in the background while their fighter pilots are sitting in these, say, cockpits. It's hysterical. <laughs> but Star Wars, from that moment on, science fiction became science fact in our worlds. And this next generation started playing with toys that interacted with them and talked to them. and had, you know, They had Teddy Ruxpin, and they had uh, uh, cartoons that had toys for sale as well. <clears throat> now, some of you are like, eh, come on, Brad. Well, take a good look at the plots for all these science fiction movies and movies like, you know, Terminator, Back to the Future, uh, even Harry Potter and The Hobbit. A little person who was abused as a child is brought into a secret organization where they are told that they're special and they learn to use magic or technology to fight off evil adults. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Just a little bit. Sounds familiar. <laughs> I call that the, the Doogie Hauser syndrome. Because right. If you remember the TV show Doogie Hauser? He was a 16-year-old child prodigy, a surgeon. And this is the kind of pressure that millennials have on them to see. They are supposed right. to combat the world. This way, so that was those were the two big ones, uh, Star Wars and video games. But there was a third big piece of the puzzle that actually created this next generation, and that is they were raised with child-centric parenting and child-centric teaching techniques. Back in the '60s, they said, "You know what? Everybody's problem is they have no self-esteem. That's why they go for the bad jobs and they choose drugs and things like that." If we could just get into the school system and get the parents to start treating children as if they're equal in the household, then self-esteem will shift. And so what happened is hierarchy was flattened inside the household where mommy and daddy 
would tell the kid to shut up and sit down, now conversations were shifting to mommy and daddy looking at the kid and going, hey, Billy, should mommy and daddy get a divorce? What do you think, buddy? Uh, so, oh, I so agree sudden, with that. I so agree, uh, yeah. and I love that you said that because, you know, I have four children. It's four little girls, and um, obviously, you know, you raise them exactly the same way. They're, they have right. their different personalities, of course, but... Um, uh, one of my, one, only one of my little girls, she is extremely self-conscious. Like she, you know, she goes to school and they bully her and they do all of these things. You know, they, you know, they say a lot of things because of her skin color because she, she have high pigmentation. It's all my fault because I used to take her up to the pool when she was <laughs> a, a, a baby. <laughs> So that's my fault. Uh, by the way, never take your baby to the pool. <laughs> One-on-one <laughs> learning <laughs> as you go. Uh, so what happens is that she comes home and she tells me that, you know, the kids are saying these things to her. So I always tell her, you know, sweetie, you're beautiful. Beauty comes from inside out. And, you know, you have to, to tell them that, you know, you have a lot of hair on your <clears> legs because, you know, it's made to keep you warm. So explain to them because people only say things like that because of ignorance. If you become yeah. a, a coach, there you go, or break it on. If you become yes, a coach... Yes, indeed. We're going to come back. back. We, have another, we have another exciting half hour left. So, see you in a couple minutes. Great. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. If you're interested in gaining strategies to be more successful both at work and your personal life, check out Turn the Page with host Hemda Mizrahi. It's all about building new habits and perspectives. The show helps you identify the changes you need to make that align with your values and priorities. And then apply these principles to your career, health, social life, and other areas. These are proven techniques that work. Turn the Page airs live Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email. 
to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. Just rep, wrapping up a little bit what I was talking about, Canberson brought these amazing guests that it's material for five hours of a show, not 30 minutes, it was like two seconds. Thank you for that, Ken. So, <laughs> uh, wrapping yeah. up, for, so we're speaking about my little girl who had, you know, this thing that, you know, people bullying her and everything. And, uh, but what Brad was saying is so critical it's not the children, it's the parenting. And so I said to my daughter, you're beautiful, you can do this. She's only seven, and she's being published to three magazines now. And the la- latest one, it's an uh, uh, Italian magazine. So you can. You can be a millennial right from the carpet of your home. You can stand up and just get online and get together with other millennials, and you can just start now. You don't have to wait for anybody else. And I'm going to pass this to Ken. He, he does have a lot of questions because, you know, he's amazing. So <laughs> we have amazing guests, amazing hosts. Ken, what was the question you were asking me about, um, you know, we're talking about millennials. You were asking me such an interesting question. Well, I was asking you about the future of boomers because are we just going to get rid of these guys? I mean, are we going to be able to keep these people around? <laughs> I think Brad can teach us how to do that. <laughs> Man, that's what I love about this show. Hard hitting, right in the, right in the kisser. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's, here's the funny part. You know, the, uh, some of the boomers are getting it. When I uh, first published Liquid Leadership, it came out at the very end of 2010. And you have to picture this. I'd go on stage for a keynote, and you'd see all these business executives in the back of the room with their arms crossed just glaring at me. And you could tell they don't care about these kids today. Uh, They just want business to be getting done. Let's do this. And it took me a few years to learn how to get through that crust because, remember, I'm I'm a C-level, former C-level executive as well, and I'm a baby boomer but I'm that cusp baby boomer. And I was raised on ABC after-school specials, Saturday morning cartoons, and Casey and the Sunshine Band, whereas my stepbrother, who was 12 years older than me, was raised on Vietnam. Okay, so I don't know how I got lumped into boomers, but I am. But I'm the boomer that raised millennials. We're the boomers who raised millennials. I'll repeat that. <clears throat> and so all those things inside a millennial's head of, I don't have to work that hard, I have to find my passion, Uh, I need to collaborate, everybody's equal on planet Earth, the guy who has 40 years experience ahead of me is equal to me and I can just walk right up to him. All these things came from baby boomer parenting, okay? Any boomers listening, I hate to tell you, you created what you would call a problem. But I don't consider millennials a problem. I consider them a breath of fresh air, and I'll tell you why. For the longest time, corporations have done whatever the heck they pleased. They turned around and they stopped being loyal to employees. They turned around and they said, okay, here's a 401K, and once you're gone, they don't care about you. So all these things have taken place over the years, and guess what? Boomers... Our habit was, you know, I hate working here, but we go right back to our desk and we say, you know, I'm going to get my resume together. And three years goes by and we still haven't gotten our resume together. And we go, you know, I hate this place. And then five years goes by 
and we go, well, it's not too bad. I have a house and a mortgage. And before we know, we're 20 years there, and we hate the place. Millennials, we train them to go, you know what? You didn't give me my raise. You didn't promise what you said you were going to do, and you lied about this job. I'm leaving, and I'm not telling you that I'm leaving. And people are shocked. Like, you can't do that. That's not the way it's done. Well, guess what? <laughs> we, we created it. <laughs> okay? So uh, corporations... It's pulling me right there. <laughs> you got it. The corporations, government institutions, academia are going to be forced to change because millennials don't tolerate BS. Okay? And a lot of you may be cringing, but I am the messenger. Don't hit me. Uh, because I am telling you, we told them, stay in bed. Mommy and Daddy love you. You don't have to move out till you're 30, okay? And now we're upset that they aren't as successful as us uh, at that age, and, and they're doing things completely differently because we raised them to be that way. We raised them to go out into the world and don't take any crap from anybody. Sorry to say it that way on, on live radio. <clears throat> we won't blame you. that's the way it is. <laughs> well, I, I love so, what you're saying, Brad, because you, we created the monster, but really the monster is the hacker that makes uh, the United States of America a cutting-edge uh, country again. We're thinking yeah. of how to shortcut things. We're thinking about how to be more efficient. We're thinking about all the red tape stuff that doesn't need to be there. And if you look at entrepreneurism, I mean, really, entrepreneur is an element of not only the hacker mentality of millennial, but it's the break-the-rules mentality. Exactly. Thinking out of the box, right? Right. If you have a millennial in your company, I suggest this. Find out who the mover and shakers are. And the only way you're going to do that is you can't be sitting there every day going, you know, I invented Teflon back in the 70s. You have to get in there and have dinner and lunch with a few of them. And, and take the weirdos out to lunch, too. Stop judging people. The guy who has the purple hair or wears the weird suit, that guy can be a genius. I had a friend here on Long Island who owns the, one of the top interactive agencies uh, in, in, on the East Coast. And he had an employee that was one of the best programmers he had ever gotten, but he couldn't use him in meetings because he was like, he just didn't get facial cues, and he would go on and on and on, and he would be pedantic, and, and he just was tearing his hair out. I said, take the guy out to lunch and find out what he's passionate about. Well, it turns out the young man loves to write. So he said, I'll tell you what, the next time we pitch business, how about if you help write the proposal? So he started writing one proposal after another, and it was so damn good, they started landing two and three million dollar gigs instead of the $700,000 gigs. And this young man, they coached him and trained him to say what he had to say, interact properly with the client, and sit down. And his business took off because he knew how to approach this millennial. And, and that's really what it is. You have to change your thinking as far as rules. A lot of us who are boomers, we have rules in our head. You're not old enough. You have to you know, kiss up to me for years. If I was abused coming up through the ranks, so do you. All these rules, you've got to be on time. You've got to pay your dues. You better let those go, because if you don't let them go, you're going to be sitting in an empty office someday. So what does your book actually guide people? Does it guide people to actually become that type of leader? Yes. Or to, un 
and also to understand the millennials better. So can you uh, share some of the myths that people have about millennials? Yes. Uh, and by the way, yes, my book, Liquid Leadership, really delves into why millennials act the way they do. And it really is a guidebook for managing a company in the 21st century. Uh, so it, I really set out to help people try and understand uh, what's about to hit the fan uh, that is now hitting the fan. Let's put it that way. But one of the, and you guys throw out some of the myths that you have heard, but I'll start with the first one, entitlement. <laughs> yep. Have you heard that one? Of course. Oh, yes. I walk everywhere thinking I own the place. How's that? <laughs> I like your style, Gisela. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this goes back to the self-confidence issue. <clears throat> we were taught, boomers, that when you entered a company at 20 years of age, you need to sit down, shut up, and listen. By the time you hit 30, your boss might like you and pull you aside, and you start getting a little bit of management training. By 40, you should be in a corner office, and everybody's going to look up to you and admire you for all the wisdom you have, and they're going to ask you questions. And how's that working out so far? It's not. Not for me. Because, <laughs> right. Because you now have 20-something-year-olds coming out of college who have all the training, knowledge, and uh, interactive training and study and everything else, and even practical uh, experience, and they're coming and stepping into that slot where traditionally the 40-year-old used to sit. So this is causing problems, especially in companies that still use age as the criteria for advancement. You hear that? Age will used to be the criteria for advancement. That's how you got the corner office. That's not how it works today. Your skill set, your current skill set, and your ability to rotate within teams quickly is the criteria for the 21st century. And it, it, it's just the way it is. So it can look like entitlement when a millennial walks up to you and says, okay, if you're not going to pay me the salary I want, I want a laptop, a cell phone, and I want my Wi-Fi at home paid for now, that looks like arrogance and entitlement. Am I correct? But the That's correct. Is, is, a lot of people will right. tell us that. Uh-huh. The reality is this. You're paying them so much less than a boomer would have gotten in that same position. So you better take care of all the, the, the perks that they need. They've learned to negotiate and work with adult language since they were children. They are master negotiators. And they are doing something that boomers did not feel that they had the right to ask for, but should have. So, Brad, yeah, what you're looking looking what's, what's the driver that uh, makes a millennial happy? If you want to keep a millennial engaged and, uh, and stay with you and, and be loyal, what would be the recommendation you have? I would say be very clear about what you expect of them. That's number one. Number two, give them lots and lots of work. If they finish up their work fast, give them more work. And the other thing is, is challenge them to reach goals that you may think are impossible. I had my first employee was David Setner, and he says, I can sell this Internet stuff. And like Dr. Evil, I looked at him and I said, all right, David, if you could sell $1 million of websites, I will not only make you a business partner, I will make you CEO of this company. And nine months later, he sold $1.5 million in websites. <laughs> the following year, 
4.3 million and the year after that 7.3 million dollars. <laughs> exactly. There's so he was well, I'm being careful. And you, yeah, you have to challenge them and then put your money where your mouth is because this is not a generation that's going to sit still and if you don't keep up with your promises, they're not like Nikola Tesla who's just going to walk away and be angry. They're going to start another company that competes with you and drive you out of business. <laughs> It is. It is so true. It is. It, it. We we're living these right now. So Ken Ken does have a multi million dollar company companies. So he he owns several companies. Very successful man. And I walk into his life, become business partner. We're doubling, tripling, ten times what 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 we ever could be doing alone. We're doing together. And the synergy is it's something so simply amazing that. We we can Ken and I can walk together in a place and just take over completely, and it's the synergy between wisdom and and you know millennium. I, I think that's really what it is. Yeah, well, millennials when they when I enter a room, millennials and I make eye contact and we immediately recognize each other. It's the boomer that judges them for being young and judges them for being whippersnappers and you don't know as much as you think and all this nonsense. Um, I'm coaching millennials right now that have broken through the multi-million dollar platform and they're now, they, they started from nothing and they're just, they're passionate about their industries and, and they've just, once you set, light them on fire, they go, they travel, they do it, they, they're, they're, they jump through hoops because they love business. How would you say that they are with relating to being purpose driven? How important that is, is that to them? Well, I think that's ninety uh, percent of it. <laughs> I hate to say okay. it. Okay, uh, is boomers. We were taught uh, we were lucky to have a job, and once we got that job, we would sit there and probably two weeks later, somebody would pull us aside and say, "This place stinks. Let's go to lunch. I'll tell you why it stinks." And we became disillusioned, but we would stay put. We would obey the rules, things like that. And so we didn't care about purpose. We cared about getting our work done. And we, we were scared of our boss, usually, and we learned to look busy. And a lot of that busy work we're still doing today, but we forgot that we're doing busy work. <laughs> so you have a new generation whose parents told them when they were little kids, and maybe not directly, but mom and dad came home and would complain about work and how the boss didn't give them a raise, they either lost their job or they lost their pension in 2008, and they're angry and upset. And that young person grew up to follow their passion because their parents said, Billy, you need to follow your passion. Don't be sucked into the corporate life like mommy and daddy. <laughs> and they paid attention. I want, I want you to remember that. These kids listened to you because they saw you as mentors and friends. And they went out well, in the world, you. and they're doing, they're, they're doing exactly what we told them to do. Find your passion. And any leader in any organization that can ignite the passion within a millennial simply by engaging them and letting them take the reins in what they do best using their skill set, you will see an employee that's fired up every single day. Well, one of the things I want to interject is that I can't believe some of the uh, employer mentality or the boomer mentality of 
they're, they're more concerned about how many hours the millennials working than what the millennials accomplishing. And I, I know for a fact, because I've worked with millennials and I, I love to attract them because not only are they breaking rules, but they're teaching me how to be more stealth and how to be more successful. And one of the things I, I, I laughed about in one of the stories I was told was a millennial said, uh, you want me to get this done, this done? And he would get it done by like 1 p.m. or earlier and say, okay, can I go home now? Because there's right. no point in me being here. Yeah. And, and when you say give them lots of work, that, that's really great advice. And, and then the other thing is acknowledge them for what the results are that they're creating because then they're going to see that the purpose of being efficient is actually the end product of what you want for them in a business partnership or a business mentality. Yeah. Uh, the reality is, is Ken, and I know you, you, Gisela and Ken, you see this all the time, certain business leaders are still stuck in holding on to old rules. And you have to know what rules to let go of and get rid of, like time is buckets to fit things into, <laughs> is one of the things you have to let go of, as opposed to what are the results, what is the effort and, and, and leverage of what I'm doing right now? What have I influenced today instead? And those, you know, let's be honest, millennials have a lot of things missing from their business acumen as well, so you have to be able to teach them uh, what is missing for them, but at the same time, you have to listen to them for what they're just blowing our minds about. Right, it's a combination, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, people may are blown away by this when I tell them this. The number one thing that millennials hate is this, inefficiency. That's true. That's, I'm, a, I'm a business strategist, and, and the reason I am, it's not because I'm so smart where I went to Harvard University. It's not that. It's just that I, I, I start working in, in, in a company, and I see everything that's wrong, and I can handle it. So I, right. I've become a strategist because I know what's, what's not working. I know why you're not making money, and I can do that in three months. So I come, I come up with my own company where I walk to your company, and I'll tell you exactly what's not going wrong, right. I charge $250,000, but you make a million dollars after I leave your company if you follow the instructions. I, I, I completely exactly. put your business down. I strap down everything that's not working, put it back the pieces, and, 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 and it, it become a machine because it, it, if you're the outsider, you see what's not working. So that's one of the things that we do at this time. All right, everybody who's been listening to the show, you need to hire Gisela. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good I like your remark that, that is so true you're, that between is true. you and Ken Vershawn it's just amazing <laughs> yeah so Brad you're brought you're brought into the world a lot to do speaking engagements and to uh, consult businesses uh, talk talk to our audience about what they can expect from you and, and what you're looking for accomplishing this year uh, I love this part of the work I do I create a custom series of workshops and trainings for your leadership, and we sit down uh, with your multi-generational people managers, and we start to have that conversation, that heroic conversation that everybody's afraid to have. We're dealing with several issues on the table right now. It isn't just millennials. It's about the next generations coming along. It's also about diversity. Uh, you know, lesbian, gay, and bisexual and transgender issues, uh, women of color, women of different uh, backgrounds are now coming into leadership positions. And you'd be shocked, Ken and Gisela, how many companies are still uncomfortable with that. I'm shocked. I've been called in to ha help companies that have bought 
uh, companies that are very progressive. And the guys who bought the company are from that old boy network of cigar choppers, uh, and men are the only ones in the boardroom, and you have to shake them awake. I am very good at that. <laughs> you know, I've been doing a lot of that kind of work, the millennial communication, the generational communication styles, and we develop a custom uh, training for you that takes about a year, nine months to a year to get in so it matriculates through the organization and you begin to spot your talent, you begin to work with it, you start retaining it, you start engaging the very best people in the organization, you start to move faster. Right, uh, and that's, and that's, that, why, that's why people don't see, you know, that the, the strategy of it really become the perfect boss. It's It's not telling people what to do it's giving them the ability of being themselves because once you yeah. have that ability you become the best you can be at your job exactly well, brad we only had brad we only have a couple more minutes left i want to make sure we get your uh, contact information uh, this is brad sure. Dolis, and he's been on uh, he's being amplified on this radio show and we are so happy to have you on the show love to have you back but i want to make sure our audience knows how to get a hold of you Yes, please. Uh, anybody who sends me an email today and mentions this show, I'm going to give you a free report called Four Myths About Millennials You've Got to Get Rid Of. And just send me an email to brad at liquidleadership.com. That's brad at liquidleadership.com. And can we extend that through uh, the next couple of weeks? Because uh, we have iTunes is where we get a lot of uh, people listen to the, the show afterwards. Is that possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So Thank you. And I also wanted to ask you, uh, we, we love uh, when leaders share some of their wisdom of where they got their wisdom. So what books have you read that really changed your life? The first one that really blew my mind and made me have to stop writing <laughs> was The Clue Train Manifesto. Exactly how it sounds. The Clue Train, as if a train is going by and it has clues on it. It's your choice to get on board of that Clue Train <laughs> And it's written by four authors that will shake you up and disrupt everything you've been taught about the Internet. And this book is over 11 years old, and it made me stop writing. It was so mind-blowing. The other book I recommend is Got Game. And this was written by two Harvard professors who really point out how much video games have influenced this next generation. If you want to understand gamification and why it's such a hot topic, this is a great book. The other book I recommend is Rework, R-E-W-O-R-K. Rework it basically is disruptive, and it it's basically says, look, we built a multi-million dollar software company without a business plan, and here's why. <laughs> so those are the three books I recommend. <laughs> and uh, do you have a couple quotes you'd like to share with our audience that you live by? Yes. Uh, the first one is by Moss Death, the, the rapper. Yep. <laughs> My presence speaks volumes before I say a word. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's the one I like. Yes. I'm going to totally favorite. steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so, Brad, I want to thank both of you. I'll, I wanted uh, just uh, one more time for you to let people know how to reach you. Yes. Send me an email at brad at liquidleadership.com. 
Brad at liquidleadership.com. And you can go to my website, www.liquidleadership.com. That was Ken Varshan and Gisela Gonzalez. We had an amazing guest. Thank you so much, Brad, for being with us, Ken. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for do, do everything for this radio show. You're amazing. And um, stay tuned for next Tuesday. You're going to be listening to another amazing guest. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, Brad, you've been amplified, and so have the millennial generation. So thank you so much. We'll hear from you again. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplify. Be sure to join Ken Rashan and Gisela Gonzalez again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard. Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash the Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page.